Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. It is a thrill to be here and to see this great space, and congratulations on this space. So you're the one that shut down Sears, came in and prayed him right out of business. That's what you did, right? Awesome. Awesome. So here you are, man, and it's a thrill, a privilege, an honor, a real joy uh, to share with you today and be a part of your dedication service. I'm glad to have my wife. I'll be honest with you. I didn't think she was coming either. I thought she would certainly go hear her boy preach, but she said the only reason she came here wasn't to hear me because she was coming to see you. That's exactly what she told me. But this is a church that is deep within our heart. Uh, We love you dearly. So many of you Probably we've not had the opportunity of meeting. I hope to be able to meet some of you at the close of our time together. But uh, your pastor and his wife, uh, their family, um, they are some of our most favorite people in the world. We love them dearly. Um, And, you know, yeah, God's hand rests on this place. I firmly believe that. This is the blessing of, of the Lord. But I believe a primary reason you're here where you are today because you have tremendous leadership in Pastor Jeremy and Corey, and I mean that with all of my heart. You know, I served at Mount Perrin North for 25 years. Um, Not every decision I made was a good one. Making them the pastors here was the best decision I probably made. But uh, yeah, yeah, let's hear it for them, absolutely. So thank you once again, Pastor Jeremy, Corey, for allowing Udell and I to share in this this great day with you. And I just simply want to talk to you a few moments with the help of the Lord on a, on a message simply called The Big Idea. That's it. The Big Idea. And um, let's just go to the Lord together and see what he might say to us as a church body, corporately, but maybe also to one another individually. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the fruit of this ministry that we see. Thank you for the greatness and the goodness of your merciful hand that we're able to experience as we just sit in this space. You are such a great God. We don't deserve what you have given unto us, but God, may we be forever grateful for what you have given us in Christ. May our lives represent that in all we say and do. And now for the next few moments, enable me to share what you want shared. I'm not here to perform, Father. I'm simply here to be used of you in whatever way. For your praise, glory, and honor now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think you would agree with me that we will live in a world that's founded on big ideas. Big ideas that have either altered the course of history or just made our lives better. In fact, some big ideas are so well known, I could probably just say just a few words of a big idea and you would know exactly who it was that said it or came up with this big idea. In fact, let's just try a few. Let's, let's try this one. Who had this big idea? I have a dream. Whose big idea is that? Martin Luther King. Exactly right. He had the big idea of civil rights that we're still experiencing and enjoying today. What about this big idea? Who said this? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Who said that? 
John F. Kennedy, that's right, in his 1961 inaugural address. Here's another one I think you'll recognize. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. Who said this? Abraham Lincoln. You did well in history, I can tell. Yeah, this is the Gettysburg Address. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to keep alive the big idea of the United States of America. Now, this next one you might have to think about a little bit. Pay close attention, but I think you'll get it. Whose idea was this? I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. It was all started by a mouse. Walt Disney, very good. Yeah, talking about Disneyland and talking about Disney World where all your dreams come true. Now, what about this big idea? Show me the next one, please. (laughs) Eat more chicken. Yeah, who came up with that big idea, right? Truett Cathy, president of Chick-fil-A. In fact... Here's the big idea of their restaurant. We exist to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us and to have positive influence on all that come in contact with Chick-fil-A. That is why we invest in scholarships, character building programs for kids, foster homes, and other community services. Come to think of it, it's also not a bad motive for striving to serve a really, really good sandwich. Now... That's a big idea. But what about this big idea? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this one that sounds very similar. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, these are the words of Jesus Christ giving us the big idea of all big ideas, and we call it the gospel. We also call it the good news. It is the good news that in Christ Jesus is found the best life possible you can live on this planet planet, and the hope for all eternity. It's God's big idea from every person that lives on this planet. Now, here's the key thing you got to get here this morning. He has entrusted this big idea to his followers he calls the church. In fact, here's another big idea out of the words of Jesus Christ in Acts 1 verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of of the earth. See, being a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ is the big idea of church. In fact, it's why we exist. This is what makes us who we are, as we just sang about a moment ago. This is the hope for the world. And the interesting thing about the gospel is when you get to the heart of the gospel, you don't find a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. You don't find some stale dogma or some kind of religious creed. You find God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's from him, for him, to him, and through him. He is the good news. And as his followers, if you're a follower of Christ in the room, we bear witness to who he is. It's the big idea of Generations Church that was started eight years ago, and your pastor talked about it really a couple of years prior to that, about 10 years ago probably. He and I sat in a Waffle House and talked about this big idea. 
You know it had to be God if it came out of a Waffle House. (laughs) And perhaps, perhaps today's service here at Generation Church, while we're dedicating this space, maybe it's more of a rededication of the people to the big idea upon which you were founded that you are witnesses in this area and around the world to the biggest idea of all, Jesus Christ. And maybe today isn't so much about what's happened in the past. Thank God for it. But maybe today is more about moving toward the future. And I think the big question today for Generations Church is, How do we continue to bear witness effectively to the big idea for which we were started? So I want to share very quickly with you three aspects of the gospel, if you will, based on John 3, 16 and based on John 14, 6 that Jesus Christ gave to us. Three basic ideas that we have to be passionate witnesses about. Here's the first one I would share with you. We must be passionate witnesses of God's truth. What did Jesus Christ say? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, Christ did not say I'm some truth. He did not say I'm a truth. He did not say I'm part of truth. He said, I am the truth. He said, I am the standard of truth. And all other claims, all other ideologies have to pass the standard of who I am. And that standard of truth that Jesus Christ is, we find in the Bible, the Word of God, the scriptures we call them. We're told there that there is a right doctrine, that the truth must, that the church must preserve and proclaim. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament to his protege Titus, he says this in Titus 2, verse 1. He says, Teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, 16, Paul writing to another protege, Timothy, he says, To watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, preserving truth in this culture is not very easy because we live in a culture that wants to create its own truth, where truth is often relative, or truth in our culture is often irrelevant. And sometimes truth in our culture is a threat. Some people are indifferent to the truth. Others are hostile towards it. And we live in a time when we call good evil and we call evil good. We live in a time where two directly opposing truth claims are accepted as both being equally true. Now, agreeing to disagree about what is real truth, that's one thing. But to accept that two directly opposing truth claims are equally true, if I can say this, is borderline insane. That's how deceptive, I believe, and dark our culture has become and why we, the church, must more than ever, I believe, raise that standard of truth in the person of Jesus Christ. I heard this story of a man who left his home, headed to work, and he came to a stop sign. He didn't come to a complete stop. He just slowed down and went on through. But there was a police officer around the corner, saw what happened, pulled the man over, and said, sir, you did not come to a complete stop. You simply slowed down at the stop sign. They said, man, the man said, no, I stopped. 
police officer said, sir, no, you didn't. You just slowed down. You did not come to complete stop. He said, no, I stopped. The police officer says, well, so that you'll know the difference between slowing down and coming to complete stop, I'm going to give you a ticket. So he gave him a ticket. Next day, same man, same stop sign, didn't stop, just slowed down. Same police officer pulls the man over, same argument. You, just, you didn't stop, you just slowed down. No, I stopped, gave him another ticket. Third day in the row, same man, same stop sign, same police officer, didn't come to complete stop, slowed down, got another ticket. Fourth day in a row, same man, same stop sign, same police officer, pulls him over. Sir, you did not come to complete stop, you slowed down. The man said, no. I stopped. Police officer had enough. Reached inside, grabbed the man by the hair, pulled him halfway out, started hitting him with his billy club. The man said, stop, stop, stop. And the police officer said, you want me to slow down or you want me to stop? Now, I'm not advocating we beat the truth out of or into people. But I am saying, even though Not all of the Bible is black and white. I understand that. But there are some matters for which it is black and white that we want the world to know. For instance, we passionately want the world to know that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he is the savior of the world, who through, and although he was tempted in every way like us, he never sinned. Instead, he willfully and willingly was crucified on a cross to pay for our sins. And he was buried, but three days later, he did bodily resurrect from today, from the, from the grave and lives today to give us abundant eternal life. We want the world to passionately know that God is for us, not against us. And that he so loves us in Christ Jesus That if we repent of our sins and choose to follow him, he will heal every hurt. He will clean every wound. He will forgive every sin. He'll empower us with his very life and spirit and make us into his beautiful, beautiful church awaiting his return when he comes as king of kings and lord of lords to bring justice to the earth and restore it back to the paradise of which he made it where he will reign righteous and pure and in joy and in peace. That is the truth that we want this world to know because when we know this truth, this truth truly sets us free. Passionate witnesses about God's truth. But a second aspect of this gospel I would encourage us to dedicate ourselves to is that we must be passionate witnesses of God's hope. Well, we sang a lot about the hope of God in Jesus Christ today. In John three sixteen, those words that Christ says, whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. That's hope. See, in a world where so many have lost hope, we the church have the hope. We aren't the hope. We have the hope in Jesus Christ. In a world so uncertain, so broken by the lies, so broken by death, so broken by pain, so filled with rage, so filled with anger, in a culture so filled with division, people don't see much hope. But Jesus Christ is the hope of humanity. The Apostle Paul once again In a letter he writes to the church at Colossae in the book of Colossians that we have in the New Testament, Colossians 1.27, he says this about the great mystery of the gospel that's been revealed, that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of something greater, the hope of something grander, the hope of something better. 
And the great thing about this hope is it not just wishful thinking, it is a living hope. The apostle Peter writes this in his letter, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. He says, God has given us a new birth into a living hope. Say living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's a living hope because it's the very life of the resurrected Christ, as Pastor Jeremy said earlier. It's a hope that stands the test of time. It's a hope that overcomes the greatest of hopelessness and the greatest of heartbreaks, the greatest of disappointments, the greatest of losses, the greatest of griefs. It is the hope that enables us to conquer the worst that life could throw at us. It's a hope that tells a broken world, no matter what, there is something worth living for. In fact, to give your life to. The story of a lady who was a substitute teacher and what she specialized in was tutoring children who had gotten behind in their schoolwork. Often it was children who had become very ill and missed quite a few classes and so she would go to help them get caught up. She got a phone call about a little boy who had been injured and who had missed a lot of school and he was still in the hospital and they wanted her to go to this hospital and start teaching him in verbs and adverbs to get him caught up. Well, she got the details as to where the hospital was and what floor she was to go on, but she didn't really get any information about the injury to the child. And she got to the area of the hospital she was supposed to go to and realized she was standing outside the burn unit. She walked in and she wasn't prepared for what she saw, this little boy laying in the bed, badly burned, the mother sitting there, and, 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 and the teacher got all flustered and, and didn't know really what to say and was just standing there stammering a little bit. And she finally said, I'm, I'm the teacher to teach verbs and adverbs. And the mother said, well, come on over and start teaching. And she sat down and finally got herself together and started teaching the little boy and came back the next day. And when she walked into the burn unit, one of the nurses grabbed her and pulled her aside and said, what did you say to that little boy yesterday? And the teacher got real worried like she'd done something wrong and she began to apologize. And the nurse said, no, 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 you don't understand. We've been very worried about him. But ever since you were here yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to treatment. It's as though he has decided to live the boy later explained that he had completely given up hope until this teacher walked in and began to teach him verbs and adverbs. And he said, because I began to realize that you wouldn't send a teacher to work on verbs and adverbs with a boy that was dying, would you? God would not send his one and only son into this earth for a world that he considered a lost cause. He wouldn't entrust this great story, the greatest story of all to a church, to a world that was beyond hope. And here's the deal, Generations Church, we got something far greater than adverbs and verbs to offer our culture. We must be passionate witnesses of God's truth, of his hope, and the final 
aspect of this gospel I would leave with you is that we must be passionate witnesses of God's love. What did John 3.16 say? For God so what? Loved the world. That he gave his one and only. That whosoever believes. Now, now, now think about that. He gave his one and only for the whosoevers. The one and only. Jesus Christ, the embodiment of God. Within Jesus Christ, this living truth and this living hope is displayed out of the love of God. See, to bear witness of God's love is to live lives of authentic truth and hope. People just don't want to be told the truth and they just don't want to be told about hope. They want to see it. They want to witness it. Where is it? We got a lot of people telling us what the truth is. We got a lot of people telling us what we can hope in. Where's the real deal? If you're a follower of Christ in the room, you're the real deal. See, when you and I, who call ourselves followers of Christ, we say one thing about what the truth is, but we live another, well, people just look at us as a bunch of religious hacks. Kind of like the story I heard of the woman who was late for work. She was tailgating the guy in front of her, right on his tail, even honking the horn, trying to get him to go faster. They came to an intersection, the light was green, and it turned yellow. And you know, in those moments where it turns yellow, you're trying to decide, do I stop or do I gun it to beat the yellow light? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah. Amen. (laughs) Well, the woman's wanting the man to go. He decides to stop. Well, she just goes off on him, sitting in her car, yelling and screaming and cussing him out and just laying on the horn. And about that time, she heard a knock on the window next to her. She looked there, and there's a police officer. He orders her out of the car, handcuffs her, puts her in the back seat of his car, drives her to the police station, fingerprints her, takes her mugshot, arrests her, puts her in the jail. About an hour or two later, another police officer comes to the jail, takes the woman out and escorts her back up to the front desk where she meets the officer who had arrested her. And he said to her, ma'am, I'm very sorry for this mistake. You see, I pulled up behind you and you're, while you were uh, blowing your horn at that man and you were cussing him out and, and making these weird gestures towards him. And I noticed the preschool carpool number from the church on the corner on the back of your car. I saw the Choose Life license plate holder. I saw the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker. I saw the Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk of your car. Naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. (laughs) Think about the love of God a moment. How extremely generous and sacrificial. What's your one and only? What is the one and only thing that you cherish above all else in your life. Now think of giving that away to a whosoever. We're just a bunch of whosoevers. 
who is loved so deeply, God took his one and only, the most cherished thing, himself in his son. The whosoevers are the sick, the healthy, the broken, the whole, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the sinner, the saint, the old, the young, the dirty, the clean. Whosoevers. In fact, the church is nothing but a, but a group of whosoevers. Lee Strobel is one of my favorite authors. Before he came to Christ, he was a devout atheist. In fact, he was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Sun-Times. He set out to disprove Jesus Christ, to disprove Christianity, and putting all of his best investigative journalistic skills to the test, he came to discover this is the greatest truth ever and gave his life to Jesus Christ, became a minister, has written several books on apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In one of those books, he tells a story about a woman by the name of Maggie. And in the particular church that he had at the time, they had special small groups that were designed just for folks that had questions about Christianity. They didn't have to be a Christian. They just came and they would just talk about Christianity. They would talk about life and faith. Maggie became a part of one of these groups, and she sent a letter to Lee Strobel, and I want to read her letter, and then I'm going to read a poem that she wrote. The letter's a little lengthy, lengthy, so I'm going to ask you to really kind of lean in and pay attention here a moment. But here's what Maggie wrote. She said, the Christianity that I grew up with was so confusing to me, even as a child. People said one thing, but did another. They appeared very spiritual in public, but were abusive in private. What they said and what they did never fit. There was such a discrepancy that I came to hate Christianity and I did not want to be associated with the church. When I came to your church and this small group, I needed gentleness. I needed to be able to ask my questions. I needed to be able to have my questions taken seriously. I needed to be treated with respect and validated. Most of all, I needed to see people whose actions matched what they say. I'm not looking for perfect, but I am looking for real. Integrity is the word that comes to mind. I need to hear real people talk about real life, and I need to know if God is or can be a part of real life. Does he care about the wounds I have? Does he care that I need a place to live? Can I ever be a whole and healthy person? I have asked questions like these in this group. I've not been laughed at. I've not been ignored. I've not been invalidated. I've not been pushed or pressured in any way. I don't understand the caring that I've received. I don't understand that leaders don't seem afraid of my questions. They don't say things like, well, you just need to have faith or you need to pray more. They don't seem to be afraid to tell me who they are. They seem genuine. And then she closed with this poem, simply titled, Do You Know? She wrote this to the Christian community. Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Do you know, do you understand that when you treat me with gentleness, it raises the question in my mind that maybe he is gentle too? Maybe he isn't someone who laughs when I am hurt. Do you know, do you understand that when you listen to my questions and you don't laugh, I think maybe Jesus is interested in me too? 
Do you know, do you understand that when I hear you talk about arguments and conflicts and scars from your past, I think maybe I'm just a regular person instead of a bad, no good little girl who deserves abuse? If you care, I think maybe he cares. And there is this flame of hope that burns inside of me. And for a while, I'm afraid to breathe because it might go out. Do you know, do you understand that your words are his words? That your face is his face to someone like me. Please be who you say you are. Please, God, don't let this be another trick. Please let this be real. Please. Do you know? Do you understand? You represent Jesus to me? Lee was so moved by this letter and this poem, he called Maggie. Ask her permission to use the letter and poem in a sermon. She said, absolutely, Lee, you can. And she said, oh, Lee, by the way, have you heard what happened? And Lee's heart sunk because he thought, oh, my goodness, somebody has said the wrong thing to her. Somebody has told her off. He thought, man, we've blown this. And just in a very dejected voice, he said, Maggie, no, what happened? She said, no, no, Lee, you don't understand. A few nights ago... I gave my life to Jesus Christ. He said, Maggie, that's terrific. He said, tell me, what, what evidence did you find to help you understand that the Bible is really true? Or what, what detail did you get a hold of that finally convinced you that the resurrection of Christ was real? And she said, no, 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 Lee. It wasn't like that for me. She said, you see, I just met a whole bunch of people who were like Jesus to me. And that's all it took. I just met a whole bunch of people who are like Jesus to me. And that's all it took. My prayer for Generations Church here in Canton, you'll always be a place where the Maggies of the world just find a bunch of people who are like Jesus to them. That every time they come into this place or they encounter you in the streets, they're going to find a people of truth and hope and love. Father, I thank you for this wonderful church, your church, this place, this place you ordained before time began. This place, centered, located here, right here in Canton, Georgia to do your work. I thank you for the past eight years. But God, I'm praying that the next eight years will be greater than the former. May your hand rest upon this place. May we all be witnesses of your truth, your, your love, and your hope for your praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Time together to close today, and there's a lot of things. Yes, a lot of things that we could do, a lot of things that we could say. And I was thinking about when my kids were younger. I was thinking about those god awful toys. They're awesome until you're walking around in your house in the dark in the middle of the night. Obviously, I'm talking about Legos. 
And on your seat today, there's a little card and it's got a Lego that's just taped to the top corner. I want you to take that card out and I want you to hold it in your hand. You know, I, uh, I would not call myself the most creative person in the world. I'm actually one of the least creative people that I know, which means I'm surrounded by a lot of really great creative people and they can do amazing things. But I remember when I was a kid, one of the things that would always spur my creativity was Legos. And I remember you'd get the box and sometimes it had a picture of what it was supposed to be. Oh, you could turn it into a, a boat or this could be some kind of Star Wars ship or this could be some kind of thing. Or, and then eventually you lost the box and you're just left with an empty bin full of multicolored Legos and you got to figure out what you want to make. Well, I was thinking about that in the context of what God has done and what God is doing here. And I was thinking about the fact that all of us are these individual pieces we're shaped differently. We're gifted differently. We, we have different things that we bring to the table. And by ourselves, we're not really much to look at. But when you take a Lego and use it in the way that it was intended, you begin to join it with others. And together you can actually make something beautiful. And we're not the only group of people that this has happened to. Throughout history, God has done exactly what Pastor Mark shared today. He's taken this big idea that he had to redeem all of mankind back to himself out of the sinfulness and brokenness of the world that we live in. And he just takes individuals like us. And if we will allow him to, he joins us with others to make something beautiful. In the Old Testament, God's people were looking for, after being nomadic for so long, which we can identify with, They were looking for a place to gather together and experience the presence and power of God. And King David had this idea that he was going to build it, but eventually his son Solomon was the one that built the temple. And there came a day after the completion of that work where Solomon dedicated that space to the Lord. And that prayer of dedication, a portion of that is on the card that you have. I want you just to take it in your hand. We've already prayed. You've already heard a sermon. I'm not going to preach. I just want to read this to you. This is from 1 Kings Chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. It says, But how could God possibly live on earth? If heaven, even the highest heaven, can't contain you, how can this temple that I've built contain you? Lord my God, listen to your servant's prayer and request and hear the cry and prayer that your servant prays to you today. Constantly watch over this temple, the place about which you said, My name will be there. And listen to the prayer that your servant is praying toward this place. Listen to the request of your servant and your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place. Listen from your heavenly dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. I believe with all of my heart what he just preached. That there are Maggies throughout this community and other other communities around us that need to come in contact with us just a bunch of whosoevers who have already received God's one and only and can point them to him too and my prayer for this place is that God would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine here's what I want you to do I want you to stand today we're going to close our time together in just a few minutes for those that are in person and those that are watching online but before we do we're just going to pray one closing prayer I'm going to ask the team just to sing one more chorus of this song Living Hope and we're going to lift that up together and so we're thankful that God is alive today 
and that we have hope because of him. But I want us to pray. I want us to pray over this space, but I want us to pray for ourselves that God would help us not to just dedicate a a space, not to just dedicate a building, but that we would dedicate ourselves as the people of God who are called by God according to his big idea to be the hope to the world because we point them to Jesus Christ. So if you join me in that prayer, can we do that today? God, we love you and we thank you today for this space. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness and your goodness towards us. I thank you, God, for the journey that you've led us on. I thank you, God, for Sequoia High School. And I thank you for the upstairs space and now the downstairs space and everywhere that we've met in between. I thank you for every small group gathering and homes and businesses and restaurants and parks and places throughout the community where we gather together, even there as the people of God, even without a building, perhaps. I thank you for all of the whosoevers that have ever walked into this place or any other place where we've gathered so that we could point them to your one and only son. God, we are not the solution, but we point them to you. And so God, take us, unique individual us, and God, let us join ourselves with others. And God, when we do that, would you build something beautiful? in and through us, for your glory, for your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.